Blog Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox, Beardlock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi, Sharp, Ransom is very hard. Four Drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fox is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempak's hat, you has had enough of that, beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies. With that theme song, it's time for another episode of Trek Talk. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. And boy, have we got a great butt-cram show for you tonight. Before we get started, let me introduce to you my Trek experts. As usual, we have with us Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? Ah, doing all right, other than windblown. Man, we've oh, we've been we've been getting heavy winds, wind advisory, forty, fifty, probably plus mile an hour winds. It's been going crazy, and that which brings the temperature down. Oh, last weekend was cold. Today was starting to warm back up. Today went back to cold. Wow. Okay, it's cold up here. So uh, we also have with us Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Uh, man, I am doing great. We're, of course, having great weather because this is Portland, and it's always great in Portland, almost always, except when it's 115. But right now, yeah, we're sunny and uh, just a little cool right now. And I am having a lot of fun drinking from the Star Trek fire hose these days. Let's get on with the show. Oh, boy, we got a lot to talk about. So tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery, Rosetta, and Star Trek Picard, Stargazer, which were last week's episode. Uh, We also have a new teaser trailer for Strange New Worlds that we're going to talk about. But that's not all. We also have our fireside chat number four. And we're going to have our, our visitor from Star Trek Wines, Greg Spurrier, will be on with us to talk about the making of that great wine. And, of course, we're going to listen to Eric and Paul as they crack the cork on a bottle of Andorian Blue Premium Chardonnay. We also have some Star Trek birthdays and some fan shout-outs. So we got a lot going on, so just stay tuned. We're going to have a lot of fun. We have 98,563 downloads of this podcast I bet you we're going to break 100,000 downloads by the next time we talk. That's just awesome. Thank you so much, guys. And we have 87,272 followers on our Facebook page. You guys can head over to our Facebook page at Truck Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. You'll see the Live Long and Prosper at the top of the page. And uh, just drop us a little line and tell us where you're listening from. Every week, yours truly, Uncle Jim, picks 15 lucky fans. If you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, that means you're going to be personally mentioned in a future fan shout-out, and you want to tune in. So, Eric, let's start off our fan shout-outs. Who's on your list? 
Well, our very first fan shout-out this week goes out to Munther Alaskri, all the way from Baghdad, Iraq. Wow, that's so cool. Munther, thank you for listening to us way, way over there. Uh, we really, really appreciate your support. We're also saying hello and uh, sending out a big kapla to top fan Sassandra Matomela from South Africa this week. So way down at the tip of all continents, you guys. So Sandra is listening to us, and she's a top fan. She interacts with us a ton on our Facebook, so thank you so much. We're also saying hello and thank you to Dominika Vladarova from the Czech Republic this week. Thank you, Dominika, for listening to us. We really appreciate your support as well. Dale Lewis is in my home state, but uh, down south, I guess, southern Oregon, he says. So hello to Dale Lewis in southern Oregon. And my final fan shout-out this week goes out to Christina Vagvolgia, all the way from Hungary. Uh, my wife has some family out in Hungary. I would love to make it there one day. Christina, thank you so much for listening to us. Charles, who would you like to say hello to? Let's start off with Darren Brown from Brisbane, Australia, one of our top countries. Tyrell Morris from Mont Montre, California. I wonder if that might be more of I can't think of any of the city in Central Monterey. California. It's probably Monterey. Monterey. Yeah. I'm thinking it's Monterey. And Janet Clark from Indiana. Jim Good from Pennsylvania. And Adriana Fontana from Italy. Jim. Oh, I bet Jim didn't get anybody from New York today. No, nobody from New York, not even anybody from New England, unfortunately, or fortunately. We'd like to say thank you and kapla to Richard Hurst from Sandy Springs, Georgia. McCard L. Franke from Scotland. Thomas, Tommy Hutchinson from Dorchester, England. Robert Dunbar from Aberdeen, Scotland. And last but not least, Randall Bush from Southern New Mexico. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. We really appreciate it. We could never do the show without your support. And please, if you're listening, head over to our Facebook page at Truck Talking and Beyond and give us a like, give us a follow, tell us where you're listening from. We'd love to hear you mentioned on a future fan shout out so don't touch that dial guys we're going to take a very short yet very quick commercial break when we come back we're going to have greg spurrier from star trek wines with us to discuss the star trek wines collection and our fourth of six fireside chats with eric and paul our resident wine tasters and specialists you definitely don't want to miss that we'll be right back trek talking all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go.
And welcome back. We're going to talk about Star Trek wines, the full armada. If you guys are interested in any of the wines that we've reviewed or that we're going to review tonight, head over to our Facebook page, and you'll see a link on there for the Star Trek wines. Click on the full armada link, and you'll get a 10% discount just for listening to this show and visiting our podcast. What a great deal that is. Unfortunately, though, I've been getting a lot of... um, emails and messages from overseas people and uh, they don't have an overseas license at this time but they are working on being able to ship the bottles to you guys and I tell you what some of these bottles are absolutely beautiful so stay tuned for that and I apologize that we can't get stuff to you guys overseas just yet but hopefully that license will come about really really soon so without any further ado let's talk about some Star Trek wines We're going to talk about something we know you're going to love. Star Trek Wines. We've been following Star Trek Wines since they launched about four or five years ago. Every year they come out with two new and authentic products. Fans of the original series, Deep Space Nine, The Next Generation, and the new Picard series will recognize several of these amazing Star Trek Wines from each series. The entire Star Trek Wines collection celebrates some of Star Trek's most enduring legacies, Jean-Luc Picard, the Klingon Empire, Cardassian Culture, and the United Federation of Planets. Right now, Star Trek Wines is featuring its full collection, all six bottles in an interplanetary six-pack called the Full Armada, a must-have for any Star Trek fan. Over the next six weeks, we're going to sample and explore each wine and talk to the creators about how they put these wines together. These wines are rich in detail, including individually numbered bottles, hand wax dipped enclosures, 3D rendered bottles created from the original props used on the shows, and even a blue Chardonnay. Liner notes crafted by writer Una McCormick for historical accuracy are all part of the package. The elegant Chateau Picard Old World French Cru Bordeaux is produced by and imported from the real Chateau Picard in France. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sampling and reviewing the full collection, as well as looking into the newest wines just released in 2021. An Andorian Blue Special Reserve Chardonnay, which features a United Federation of Planets metal medallion, silk screen designs, and a stellar blue wine sought after throughout the galaxy. We'll also do a deep dive in the legendary Cardassian Canar, long considered one of the Holy Grail collectibles in the Star Trek universe. So join us as we go behind the scenes with the team behind Star Trek Wines. All right. So uh, we're having a little bit of technical difficulties here, Uh, guys. For some reason, I have to run to my computer because the the clip that Eric sent me for uh, tonight's Blue Andorian Wine did not transfer to my Kindle, so I cannot play it for you right now. So I have to log on to my computer, give me a second, and I'll see if I can find the file and we can get that loaded up for you. Hopefully it won't take too long. Um, I'm, I'm leaving right now. So, Eric, what did you think about the wine while I'm trying to find the clip here? Well, uh, we, of course, had an excellent time tasting the wine again. Uh, you will meet our special guest star when we get the clip ready. Uh, as you know, we've been having those each and every week. So we have a new special guest star this week. And uh, and uh, we once again met in 
in Paul's uh, Toylandia, I like to think of it as, uh, which is his room of amazingness, uh, filled with all sorts of, of goodies here and there. And uh, if you listen to the show on Sunday, you will get the full Monty on that. You'll get the full hour and 40-something minutes, I think, of us just chatting about that, uh, chatting about uh, various societal things and Star Trek things. So uh, feel free to check that out on Sunday if you want. Uh, we had a great time with this wine. It is a absolutely beautiful color. Um, we started out by, uh, I don't want to give away too much because uh, obviously we want to hear the clip, uh, but we, we did get a little comparison into the, uh, not only the skin of the Andorian as a blue color, but just that it, it really read as ice to us. It was a nice ice blue. And then we we happen to have a couple of uh, Eagle Moss ships on the shelf as well uh, at the same time. And so um, we also compared it to the blue that shows up in the nacelles of a lot of those ships. So it's a really nice, pale, beautiful oh, ice blue. Um, looked absolutely amazing. Um, All right. And here we go, guys. I got the clip for you. Here it is. You ready? Let's, let's do listen. it. Let's do it. Welcome to the United Fermentation of Planets, where no glass has gone before. So for tonight's featured mystery guest, because if mystery, if memory serves, Eric, Andorian Blue Chardonnay. Andorian Blue Chardonnay. A blue Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Yeah. A Chardonnay. Do I look like Counselor Troy? What is wrong with you, Commander? Well, no, we're not going to have that attitude. We're reinventing the wheel here. So we have an Andorian here. Um, extremely, uh, this is towards the end of Playmates' run here when they were really getting kind of like, we don't need to articulate the knees and elbows. Mm-hmm. But he's got a blue glass of uh, beverage of choice. He does, and I think it's uh, kind of generic Andorian. Is it, uh, is it from Journey to Babel? I think he's probably, as I remember, like this guy came with the chair from... Uh, whom gods destroy okay. the, the asylum. Oh, so, gosh. So okay. Le- I would call it a lesser uh, season three episode, except for Yvonne Craig, and nothing Yvonne Craig is in it lesser. So, so I think he's just generic android, but for our purposes tonight, he can be Thaleb, you know, from Journey to Babel. I have to tell you, he is almost identical in color to this wine. Look he really the, is. Look yeah, the way that just, like... Let's capture that we should, for we should get that on posterity on right? in case you suddenly decide you have a web page he is here to join us tonight and we are going to be sampling the united federation of planets and dorian blue special reserve wine and uh i'm very excited about this wine this wine has a fantastic looking bottle it is unique uh in the star trek wines it's kind of a uh, it's a circular bottle starts out maybe two and a half, three inches or so uh, across at the bottom and then kind of does a real nice taper in the ball. The bottle's nice and tall. Not quite as tall as the Canar bottle, but pretty close. I think this is probably the second tallest bottle. And one of the big feature pieces here is they put this uh, United Federation of Planets metal emblem on the front. Nice. And it is really metallic. It is. It I is mean, metal. it looks yep, it's solid. It's like I'm tapping on it and it's metal. And it's the uh, it's like the United Federation of Planets flag. So it's got the you know the brighter stars and then all the dimmer stars in the background and the, the olive leaves or whatever they are around the edges. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I never know what these are. Wheat or something? I don't know what they are. Something either. very fancy. Uh, and so great looking wine. Uh, 
one of my very first questions when I first saw this wine was, okay, so it's blue. Is the bottle just blue or is the wine itself blue? And by kind of tipping the bottle sideways, you can see the um, see the actual clear glass. And it, it is. It's the wine itself that's blue. It's not, uh, it's not the bottle. So... And I wonder how that was achieved. I'm well, really I'm, curious. I'm very you, curious. You can that. make these assumptions, but I've learned with these cats that's not always a good thing to do, right? So I'm really super curious. Like, what uh, did they do? I would bet you that it's something uh, more than just food coloring, but who knows? I am also very curious about that. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that story. All right, so uh, thank Sweetness. you, thank you for providing a great audience. Anytime, my friend. I yeah. think it's time to uh, rock and roll this sucker. I think, uh, as befitting the second half of our uh, six bottles, you should open this one. All right, man, that's very kind of you. I can do this. So it's beautifully chilled at what I would call the right temperature. Good. Yeah. I, uh, I did what you said, and I put it in the fridge. Uh, I put it in this morning, and then I took it out about 15 minutes before I came to your house, and it's probably. About a half an hour yeah. after I got to your house. Perfection. So been out for about a half an hour. Perfection. So, yeah. Bartenders across the cosmos, thank you. What we got here is another piece of beautiful craftsmanship, I would call the best word here. We've got a nice uh, Star Trek Wines cork. It has. That's sort of the Andorian uh, Is that symbol. the Andorian symbol it there? It is, yeah. almost looks like the Eidic in the middle, in a way. They right? do have an interesting symbol Doesn't that looks a little bit like the Eidic, like yeah, but they sort of string it together with these other shapes. I don't know the origin of that. I think it has something to do with their planets and moons. You know, they're from a they're from an ice moon that orbits a gas giant planet. Oh, they're from, it's a moon, not it a nice planet. Yeah. See, i got to watch some of these. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's, there's a part of Enterprise that, you know... There's a lot of, I gotta go back. of stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's been so long. It's like I'm sure I saw most of them, but it's just been way too long. And you know, one one gets busy as one does. So we have a real nice old school cork there. Um, we have the USP. We have a, a somehow compelling blue liquid, which sounds crazy, right? You're it like, does. do I want to drink this blue thing? But I'm dying to see what this looks like when it comes out of the bottle into the glass. Okay. I'm, I'm looking through my glass at one of Paul's wonderful LED lights because we're once again in his um, toy cave of awesomeness. And this wine has a really, really amazing sky blue. Ice blue. Ice I'm blue. going with ice blue as well. Ice blue. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. So, cheers. Ooh, look at that. I'm going to... I'm going to... Speak as a man who doesn't know a thing about Chardonnay. Oh, you know plenty, man. You know what you like, and you know what uh, what you're sensing. Your so, senses are great. What are you, what are you getting? So, uh, all the taste is happening on the top of my tongue now, and not the sides. Okay. I don't know what that means, but whatever that flavor thing is, it's happening right there. Um, I definitely taste, like to me, I taste the grapeiness. It tastes like a vineyard to me. I don't know, like you're like what a vineyard smells like when you're walking through the rows, you know? That's what this tastes like to me, like a summer's day. <laughs> okay. So, would it, so I don't know what that is. Would is you that, call it grassy? 
a little bit? Would it be yeah. kind of a grassy? I think grassy is a good because it's in the nose. It all kind of yeah. A floral kind of floral grass. Things are blooming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're walking amongst the vines. There you go. You feel the uh, smell coming up from the terroir. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So. That is the sense that I'm getting. Yeah. Yes. I like that. Get good description. Thank you for helping me out with that. Yeah. What are you getting? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Come on. (laughs) I seem to be compelled to keep drinking more sips here because it's uh, quite delightful. I'm actually um, really, it's, again, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago. We were talking about uh, the Sauvignon Blanc. When you haven't drank a lot of white in a while, it's like, it's kind of like, I love that the reaction is not like, ugh, what's that, right? Because like you're red, red, red. You're kind of like, oh, what a pleasant change of... uh, of uh, of uh, evocation, right? Mm. It's, it's a different kind of feeling, right? Mm-hmm. It's a real pleasant experience. Um, I'm getting the, the tip of my tongue is is where mm-hmm. I seem to be getting mm-hmm. a lot of stuff coming through there, right? And uh, the first thing I got is uh, a very much kind of a a little bit of a concentrated, almost like a citrus. Feel to it, yeah. almost like a little bit of like a hint of like you know if you have one of those uh, the cuties at the holiday time the oh, mandarin sure. right sure. I've got a little hint of that but then I it almost felt like I had uh, rubbed up against a peach mm-hmm. a little bit of a peach feeling okay. there I can see that yeah. sure yeah and it's not uh, it's it's rich right it's it's rich but it's it's pleasingly dry yeah right? it, good acidity yeah I and what's interesting is I. I'm really wondering if there are psychological effects to drinking it at, while it's blue. You know, like am I am I tasting something different? Is it, is it because the power of suggestion? Is the, is the power of suggestion working right? Am I like because when I first tasted it too, I also tasted kind of a fruity thing, and I was like, ah, it's probably because it's blue. I think I'm going to taste candy or, or something. Blueberries so I, or, or blueberries something. or something. Right, right. So I would like I didn't allow myself to to sort of taste that, but um, the aftertaste has that peachy kind of nest. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like I'm starting to notice more things. Well, that's always what happens, right? You always, the, the longer you're exposed to it, the more things you start to notice. Okay, you're getting low. Because I think you're going to see this is, I'm, I'm definitely getting some pronounced stuff now that is way more mm. pronounced than the hint I thought before, and I'm liking that. Uh, truly, I feel like uh, this wine would go really, really well with food as well. Oh yeah, um, like something. I hate to, I know you just talked about seafood with the other one, but I feel like seafood with this one too yeah. would be a really good match. White, I mean that's, that's kind that, of, I mean I guess that's I why they do it, right? Traditional thing, right? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, but, but it's because they comp. But the seafood is such a broad spectrum of things, right? Mm-hmm. It can be so many things. I mean, it's like imagine like this with like. Uh, Barbecued prawns, like big prawns right off the grill. And I love the barbecue idea of yeah. that because the kind of salty, richiness yeah. of that would Smoky, buttery, food. chewy, flavorful prawns. Never met a prawn I didn't like. Mm. Sorry, Admiral Akbar, but... It's a trap! But it's a compliment. It's not a, it's not a threat, dude. Uh, but, no, they're uh, they're great. I mean, and I, I totally can get that. Yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah. Uh, ahi tuna would go great with this. Ooh, yeah. You know, um, 
of course, any excuse to you know convince somebody that we should order lobster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic, man. This that would even, be great. This might even go good with like a like a beef that had some horseradish stuff on it, like some oh. thinly sliced. Like a carpaccio. Like, like there that. you go. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, something like that that's got a little zip to it. Yeah. I want to have another sip of this and then see if see if you're getting what I'm getting because I got the last sip a much more pronounced. Yeah. In terms of that, okay. So I get that and uh, that flavor, that experience, that uh, sensation. That's the word I've been stumbling around for <laughs> tonight that will not come. Why has it been so difficult to find? That sensation, right? And my mouth is remembering a similar sensation that's almost exactly the same. And it is like when you bite into like a, like a, like a nectarine. I just thought nectarine in my head. I literally, before you said <laughs> totally. that, I thought nectarine and I was like, I don't know, that's too much like tea. I Come almost on. feel that I could yeah. like even like uh, get a hint of like the rind of the peel. Yes. Right? Where yeah, I really do. Totally. And it's the, it's the initial sensation, it's the nose thing, and yeah. it's the aftertaste. I don't always have the best sense of smell, but... But I definitely get it with this. Okay. Right? Yeah. And the, the taste. That's so funny. But absolutely. It's a wonderful aftertaste. It has that great, you know, tangy citrus quality to it. And it's With a little body. Yeah. Right? It's not like an orange. Because an orange, the aftertaste of an orange is hollow. The aftertaste of a nectarine has some meat to it. Yeah. Right. It's complicated. It is. It's complicated. Yeah. And it's not, and, and you're going to think, oh, it's the weird, weird tart sweet. I'm not going to like it. And it's just, it's hints. You know, it's hints. It's We're hints, talking, yeah. right? And it's, it's, not like it's very it. mellow, very approachable, but... Uh, but it still tastes like a grape. Yeah. But um, I only mention it because I find it pleasingly so. Mm. It's it's really a kind of a delightful surprise. I will say that this wine is the, like, I'm, I think I've decided that I'm just not a Chardonnay guy, but... I do appreciate the complexities that happen in this particular yeah. wine. Like, it's, I think I would choose this one given the right meal to go with it or something like that. I'm not going to buy it to, like, drink it on a Saturday afternoon right. personally. But, but if you had, like, the right – you're pairing it with a particular meal. Correct. Okay. Yes. Then you're going. Absolutely. Personal preference, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay. I like the Sauvignon Blanc better, yeah. myself. It's a little lighter. It's a little lighter. Okay. Um, this one... <sighs> and we had the pleasant experience of drinking that outside on a sunny day, which may have okay. tainted us. So that may have tainted a little bit. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paul, for sharing this bottle with me once again. Um, it was delightful. And uh, for sharing, of course, your your Toylandia here with all of the awesomeness. It's a fun environment to hang out in. <laughs> it really is. Right? And it actually works really well for recording, too, to tell you the truth. Good. Well, this is great. And uh, friends on the moon of Andor, uh, we wish you well. We're glad you helped uh, bring the Federation into being. Um, please help us bring our Federation into being, because we need some help right now. We are at that point where we also uh, need to become part of a larger brotherhood. Uh, clearly Mm -hmm. uh, so that we can do the good things that you do alright cheers my friend cheers excellent okay that was Eric and Paul's fireside chat you guys can listen to the full unedited uncut fireside chat on Sunday evening but right now I want to bring on our the one and only Greg Spurrier from Star Trek Wines how you doing tonight Greg 
I'm doing well, oh. and I believe we have uh, Spencer Brewer on the line as well. Uh, oh, Star oh, let Trek me see. One. Let me see. That must be this right here. Hey, Spencer, can you hear me? I can hear you. Excellent. We oh, got perfect. the whole okay. gang here. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here and glad that we're talking about the United Federation of Planets and Dorian Blue Chardonnay Reserve, which is the third United Federation Planet uh, wine in the collection. Uh, it's our second white wine in the collection. Um, sits alongside the, the wonderful Savion Blanc. And um, I, Spencer's here can give you a deep dive into the details of of the wine, the appellation, as well as the process that we went through to choose this vibrant uh, crystal blue color. Um, and we can share the details and the backstory on how we created that with using all natural ingredients. Spencer, you want to take it away? Sure. Um, when we first decided to do a blue wine, really what you got to figure out is that if you match blue with a clear wine, then of course you get blue. You match it with a Chardonnay and you get green. It's just blue and yellow equal green. And so the, basically the quest was on, on how do we get it to this ice blue color uh, as natural as we possibly could, because we already had made a Sauvignon Blanc in an earlier federation. Uh, so, we first started in all the natural uh, types. First of all, what, spirulina was what everybody said we should go and use. There's no taste. It really is a beautiful blue color. It was accessible across all over the place. And once we did, and this took several months before I finally got down to the end of that rainbow. And first of all, the FDA had not allowed spirulina to be put in any drinks, alcoholic drinks, legally in the United States number one. And number two is that within two or three years, it turns black back to its natural color. So the blue would disappear. Then we said, okay, well, what's that, what else are we going to do? We did parallel pass on each one of these. Down in South America, there is a, another wonderful blue thing uh, from called butterfly pea flowers. So we went down that road. We got samples of it. And then we found out, once again, FDA had not approved it to be used in any alcoholic drinks and it broke down within two or three years there was a what there was a guy who made a fantastic blue wine that we researched and so we end up calling him to find out you know how would it would it take for you to do that and he says well personally i'm a winemaker and i'm a chemist and it took me four years to figure out how to get it out of blueberry extract uh, but he said it's a very expensive process to do so I said, well, will you share it with it? Will you license it to us? Well, you know, what can we do here to make this work? And he goes, well, it's proprietary to me and my wine, so no, I can't share it. And good luck. <laughs> so that, that didn't go anywhere. And then we tried cooked red cabbage, which turns blue, but it doesn't sustain. So now we're about four or five months into this process, and I realize I have to find a food scientist. That's just, there's just no two ways about it, a doctor of food. And we luck found this fantastic uh, gentleman uh, down in L.A. who he is the head of an entire department that makes uh, dyes, uh, natural dyes, for a number of companies and products all over the world. 
And when he found out it was for Star Trek, he flipped out because he was a huge fan. So he never charged us the dime for any of his consulting, and he sent us multiple batches of blue. I would put one drop. It was very scientific. I mean, how much? I mean, what is a drop is a drop. You would get into drams and micro drams, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd put it into clear bottles and put it in the sun for five weeks, see what it would do. And I'd put another in another bottle and put it for two months, see what that color would do before it would change. So finally we nailed down the exact blue color we wanted. And when it went down to the winemakers to bottle the wine, we discovered, which Craig was there on site, and he can explain what this guy did down in Monterey to, to actually get the blue color there even bluer than we had gotten to this point. Craig, share what you uh, saw him do with the wine when it got there. Sure. As, as Spencer had uh, described, the, the Chardonnay you know, has a yellow tone to it, um, and we worked with um, a chemist in Monterey, and we were – we use carbon to filter out the the yellow of the Chardonnay to get it to almost a clear um, or as clear as we could. So it was a pale pale yellow, and then we started to um, add the the blue coloring uh, to the wine to get it to the perfect shade um, uh, that it is today. So it, it was a, it, extracting some of the the natural tone from the Chardonnay and then adding the blue to get that crystal blue color. This blue that he had supplied us with was so powerful, I mean so powerful, that a small pint jar uh, of powder, uh, that's all it was, a small pint jar of powder, you take two tablespoons to three tablespoons of this stuff, put it, ready for this, into 10,000 gallons of water, Whoa. and it would turn that color. Wow. <laughs> I accidentally, wow. while I was experimenting on this stuff, I actually got a little on my fingers. It took a month to wear off. You couldn't wash it off if you wow. wanted to. So there's no taste. There's no aftertaste to it. There's no effect on the wine. It will last, he said, it'll last 40 years, and the color will never change. It's wow. a wonderful story it's, to get that, it to this that, place. That's that is an amazing story. Uh, I would, as Paul and I were tasting the wine, that was the, is something that we kept returning to. We just didn't understand how you could possibly do this thing. And we talked about um, how the clear bottle is definitely detrimental to trying to preserve the wine. Right? That's why a lot of wine bottles are colored because the it helps to protect them against UV radiation and that sort of thing. And and so the clear bottle, um, you definitely still want to protect it. But I, I love hearing the story. I'm also a, um, an engineer, and I love hearing the story about how you experimented so much with putting it out in the sun and seeing what the sun would do to it. Because, honestly, the sun is what breaks down most things in life. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that, is, that's it, bottom line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the other thing about this, which we spent a year on, I mean, it was a full year was that medallion on the front cover. Uh, we had it lasered. Uh, first, we, we came up with the design, multiple designs, where finally CBS uh, and said, this is, exact, this is perfect, you guys have nailed it. And then we searched all over the country and in two or three uh, places in Europe to find somebody that could make the metal and actually have it in that particular, you know, it goes around the bottle, it's not flat. So it adheres to the bottle. 
and uh, we finally found a company that could make this after m- numerous tries. We were even going to try resin. We were going to try aluminum, uh, Zanac. I mean, we went down all kinds of roads, and we finally found one manufacturer that said, yeah, we can do it. And because of uh, all of the problems this last year and the year before with supply chain, instead of the two months, it took them uh, 11 to 12 months to get that thing made. Uh, and there, every one of them is hand-done and hand-adhered to the bottle. Well, you can tell that it has that level of craftsmanship, not to stroke your ego too much, but, like, the way that it actually fits on the circumference of the bottle and it exactly yeah. matches it, like, that, I really appreciate little fine details like that. It's, it's, a, it's, a nice, um, it's a nice thing that a discerning eye will appreciate. <laughs> No, thank you. It was fun. It was a, another fun project to do while we were wrestling with the canar all the way through. Uh, <laughs> and wow. as, as well as the, uh, the the bottle, the teardrop bottle uh, was another yeah. challenge that we we went um, from a sourcing perspective. We that bottle is from Portugal, and there's only one manufacturer that makes it, and we in the world uh, in the world. So. Uh, you know, our team, creative team, Spencer, myself, and uh, the other uh, partners at Wines That Rock, uh, who are Star Trek Wines, we all, you know, brainstorm on what bottle would be the perfect complement to the existing uh, United Federation of Planets. Um, and, you know, it, it took eight to ten months to, to, to find this bottle and then, then bring, it, bring it over uh, from Portugal. So, and when we finally it found really, it, he gave us the yeah. – go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. You're, you're good. Go ahead, Spencer. Uh, once once we found it and he gave us all samples, he said, okay, you can have it here in May, April. Mm. Mm. And because at that point, all of the ships stopped in the Suez Canal. Mm. And mm. so it was it, – I can't – the price of this bottle tripled by the time we got it over here. Oh, just goodness. because of the supply chains. Yeah. And they, the molds they first got inside and they made them, it didn't work. I mean, it's just, it, it's sort of like Murphy was around every corner of this <laughs> particular piece of glass. Yeah. Uh, he lurks. Yes. Yeah. So, Eric, then, Eric, what can you tell us about the bottle? I mean, we talked about the Klingon blood wine, we talked about the Canar. What can you tell us about this bottle? How does it look up well, on your shelf as a collector's item? Well, it looks really, really beautiful with the light coming through it, although now that I've drank the wine, I kind of wish that I had the wine back in it because it really, like for this particular wine, um, it sounds silly to kind of say that the color is the is one of the major features, but I'm telling you, it really is because it's a color that um, that it, when you put it in the sun and the light shines through it and it kind of hits your table – it just looks really, really nice. Um, so the bottle itself is totally clear now that it's empty. <laughs> um, and as a person who appreciates uh, proportions and stuff, I mean, I haven't actually started in taking measurements or doing anything like that, which I, I may nerd out on at some point. But it just has a very elegant feel to it. It's very, it's very tall. I've since kind of gone back and measured its tallness, and it's not – it's actually – it's – it's shorter than it looks because its proportions make it look very tall and slender, if that makes sense. Mm. 
Um, so it, uh, it just has, and then it has a nice mass to it, you know, because the thing sort of flares out so much at the bottom. This is not a wine that you're going to easily kind of knock over while it's on your table. Cause it just is nice and heavy at the bottom. So I, I love the way the bottle looks and I've, I've also dried each one out and kept each cork because I think the corks are really kind of fun. They've got the, the, like this one has the United Federation of Planets uh, emblem on it. And then it's got the Star Trek wines.com little uh, ticker tape thing around the circumference of it, which is really nice. So uh, yeah, beautiful bottle, um, beautiful color, uh, great wine. As we, as we said, you know, it was interesting because for me, you know, Paul and I are honest about it in the recording. We say, my my favorite way to drink this wine would be with some food. I just feel like it really wants to pair um, with a food like like Paul was saying. Some some barbecue prawns would be amazing. <laughs> so um, so really really nice job, guys. Yeah, it is a really lovely Chardonnay from the Santa Lucia Highlands area of California. Um, age twelve months uh, before bottling. And it has great citrus tones, like you had described, and a nice finish. You know, when I drink it, I do taste peach and um, apricot, but it definitely has a a citrus um, finish to it as well. So we we mentioned also last week that we were very blessed on uh, the Canar and on this wine that we had Andrew Nelson who uh, is our uh, winemaker down uh, in San Luis Obispo area, that uh, he, last year he won the Wine Enthusiast 40 Under 40, best top 40 winemakers under 40 in the United States, and he made this wine as well. Um, and it looks great on his shelf with all his prize winners too. Uh, so we're very lucky to have Andrew along for the ride, uh, helping to bring us up to the level that we'd like it to keep it at. And, and it might be a staple on the 10 Forward bar. I just saw the 10 Forward experience in L.A. that's happening from uh, – it started March 3rd, and it's going to run the, for the series of the uh, Picard season. Um, but it, this and the rest of the bottles in the full armada um, are, are staples on the 10 Forward uh, bar at the, the experience there in L.A. Wow, that's awesome. So uh, let me ask you, uh, how do you guys pick what wines you're going to do? What 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 do you look for in a wine that you want to pick? Well, the first first thing is that what is you think about it. I mean, it took us a year. I mean, I, I'm really not exaggerating to figure out what we were going to do with like the Klingon wine, and we started off, you know, Klingons. They're very robust, heavy, and you know, a very intense society. And so we decided, let's put a petite Syrah in there. I mean, how much heavier do you want to get? And so I got, what, two or three dozen samples of it, and I had two or three winemakers here, and we're tasting through them all, and finally sent some off to the rest of the team so they could taste them. And we got down to the very end thinking that, okay, petite would work as a Klingon, but most people don't know petite, and they may not even like it because it is so intense and so heavy. So we had to back off from that. So we really try to look at the culture of what is people, those, the planet, I mean, wh- whoever we're trying to go for within the Star Trek universe, and what do they like? I mean, who are they? What would mirror them? And then once we figure that, that out, we almost did a Pinot Grigio inside here. 
But we, we opted for the Chard, and the real reason for it was because now we're marrying our winemaker into the equation, is that now we say, okay, here's the, here's the one or two we think we want, and Andrew, what do you think we should do? Because, you know, ultimately, he's the winemaker. And he goes, well, I think that we could have a far better taste experienced for the end user if we went to the Chardonnay on this one. Because, and he would rattle off all the reasons why. Sometimes it's accessibility. Sometimes accessibility. Sometimes it has to do with what was the uh, actual grow yield that particular year. Was it a good or a bad year for that particular varietal? So there's multiple equations involved in here, but it first starts with the culture of what is that bottle going to be and, and who's it for. Then we try to match wines with it. Then we get the winemaker involved. Wow, that's yeah, quite we, the procedure. Right. We brainstorm in, internally at uh, Star Trek Wines. Then we team up with um, the creative folks at CBS Viacom, which is now Paramount Plus, John Van Sitters and his team, we speak directly to the prop masters for each of the properties, whether it would be Picard uh, or Strange New World. Um, but we we definitely tap into uh, the creative folks who are making the props on set, and um, we we collaborate with them on you know what what will the future bring. Um, so there are some exciting new wines coming out um, that we've been working on for a couple of years now, but it's, again, a great process uh, to work with uh, CBS Viacom and John Van Sitters and his creative team um, to, to get these, these props to come to reality. And that's, you know, one thing that Spencer and I experienced the first time we did the Star Trek convention in 2019 is that, we were the only vendor there that had actually had a product that was on set and was came, was brought to reality, and it felt you know it's a really good feeling to share that with everyone. Well, yeah, I've the, been uh, impressed with the models story. that I've gotten so far. I, I the the Picard and the Klingon Bloodwine are look I'm very impressed. They look real great up on my shelf. So uh, you're doing a fantastic job with that. And uh, Eric, I wanted to ask you. Before we, we run out of time here, what are you and Eric, what are you and Paul going to taste for us next week? Well, we have scheduled this week, uh, once again, a new recording session, and we're going to be uh, talking about the Chateau Picard Bordeaux uh, next week. We're very excited about this wine. Uh, both of us, as we've made apparent in our recordings, are red wine guys. And uh, and the fact that this wine uh, actually comes from that area of the world is very exciting to me, and uh, it, it's just a it's a type of wine that I uh, enjoy in general. And not only that, but I'm absolutely positive there's going to be some amazing Picard talk because we're going to be two three episodes deep by the time we record that, so should be a fun time. Excellent. We also, that sounds really good. It, we also have. When you guys get to it, we also have some really fun, cool backstories on how we even got that wine. <laughs> oh, that's going to that be one, so That one was fun. the holy grail. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, maybe we should have saved that for last, but I have to tell you that I am an old Vines Infidel guy, so we have gone with my personal preference and saved that one for the last. Uh, but oh, good I'm, for you. I'm super excited to talk about the Bordeaux next week. Great. 
Excellent. Well, Greg, I want to say thank you so much to you and Spencer for hanging out and Trek talking with us, sharing some of your knowledge and stories about the makings of the various Star Trek lines. And uh, we will definitely see you guys same bat time, same bat channel next Thursday night. So thank you very much and kapla. Kapla. Thank you so much. It's been really enjoyable. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. So uh, we're not done yet. We still have our Star Trek birthdays and a lot of Star Trek to talk about. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 730 to 930. All hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And welcome back uh, to Trek Talking. We're going to do our Star Trek birthday. And for that, we're going to Eric. And before we do that, we need to hear from Worf. That was not a Klingon song. You know, Grumpy Wharf says that every week, but we love it. <laughs> hey, guys, we are currently live. Our phone number here is 646 668 2433. We're going to be talking about Discovery Rosetta and Picard Stargazer. So give us a call and share your opinions or your thoughts on either of those episodes or just call and say hello. We'd love to hear from you. 646-668-2433. Now it's time for Star Trek birthdays. And we usually start off with Eric remembering those members of our Star Trek family who sadly enough are no longer with us. So, uh, Eric, who's on your list? Yeah, Jim, uh, this week we are remembering seven members of our Star Trek community who have gone before us. Uh, our first remembrance goes out to Davis Roberts, who played Dr. Ozaba in the TOS episode, The Empath. Uh, you can go back and check out that episode. Uh, but Davis uh, Roberts also appeared in over 30 feature films. Uh, and he was also in the miniseries Roots, uh, which may set off your trigger uh, because, of course, that is where LeVar Burton made his, uh, made his name, I think, uh, in acting. So Davis Roberts would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday. We're also remembering Mickey Morton, who played Thrall Klug in TOS's episode The Gamesters of Triskelion. Uh, he actually is one of these crossover actors that goes between Star Trek and the other star franchise, because in 1978, he appeared as the infamous, uh, well, in the infamous, I should say, Star Wars holiday special as a Wookiee named Mala. So uh, Mickey Morton, both in Star Trek and Star Wars in that wonderful holiday special that we all know and love. Happy birthday, now- Mickey Morton. Was Mala, if I, I haven't seen the holiday special in ages, but if I remember correctly, Mala was Chewbacca's wife, correct? Correct. That is what I'm remembering as well. Yep. So uh, Mickey, Mickey, a little bit of crossplay there. I love it. Uh, I love that he got to appear as a Wookiee. And if you go back and look at Thrall Klug um, from the game, from the game service, 
the gamesters of Triskelion, um, he's, you will totally recognize him. Um, and I'm just going to leave it there. Just look him up guys. Um, cause it's a hilarious image. So Mickey Morton, great job in that episode. Great job in the holiday special, which I feel, I feel everybody watch every year. Cause why not? It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Happy birthday also to Patty Edwards, uh, who played Anya in TNG's episode, The Dauphin. Uh, she, uh, if you do not know her from that uh, role, you will probably know her. She's a very well-known voice actress on a number of Disney animated movies, including The Little Mermaid and Hercules. And she actually was also the voice of Gozer in Ghostbusters. So happy birthday to Patty Edwards this week. We're also saying happy birthday to John Hancock, a name that is not the one you're thinking of. This is the one who played Admiral Hayden in TNG's episodes The Wounded and The Defector. Um, I've got a great Star Trek attack wing card with Admiral Hayden who uh, bumps your whole fleet. Uh, he's super cool. Uh, he also is known as Judge Richard Armand in the drama series L.A. Law. Uh, he played that role from 1986 to 1991. So happy birthday, John Hancock. We're also saying happy birthday to Brad Weston, who played Ed Apple in TOS's episode, The Devil in the Dark, one of my personal top five TOS episodes. I just really, really love that episode, you guys. It's so good. Um, but an interesting fact about Brad West, he was actually briefly considered by Gene Roddenberry uh, for the, uh, quote, young male crew member to attract t- attract teenaged female viewers. <laughs> Who is that, you say? Well, that's the role that would eventually become Pavel Chekhov, played by Walter Koenig. So uh, Brad Weston was originally considered for that role, ended up playing Ed Apple, Ed Apple in The Devil in the Dark. So happy birthday, Brad Weston. We're also saying happy birthday to Anne Haney, who played Rashawn in TNG's episode, The Survivors, and also in Els Renora, uh, or she also played Els Renora in DS9's episode, Dax. Uh, you would totally recognize this woman. She was actually a regular on Mama's Family from 1986 to 1989. And she also appeared, uh, coincidentally, in two episodes of Quantum Leap, which leads us into our final remembrance for this week, uh, Dean Stockwell would have had a birthday this week, uh, a name that spans multiple sci-fi franchises. He, of course, uh, in Star Trek played Colonel Gratt in Enterprise's episode Detained, uh, where he got to uh, be next to Scott Bakula uh, for probably one of the roles that you're more familiar with. He was also on Battlestar Galactica playing number one, a.k.a. Brother Cavill. And, of course, Quantum Leap, he played Al, Al Calavici, uh, up next to Scott Bakula. Uh, But the role that I just love him for, because this movie is not the best version of this movie, because the new one is better, in my opinion, but the David Lynch version of Dune, uh, Dean Stockwell, of course, was the actor who played Dr. Wellington Yu, uh, the soup doctor, who was the personal doctor of Leto Atreides I in House Atreides, but, of course, a double agent actually working for Vladimir Harkonnen. So happy birthday to Dean Stockwell, uh, who has been all over the place and I think is one of those faces in sci-fi that you just show and people are like, oh, yeah, I know him from X. And three or four things could come out of their mouth. It's super cool. 
So, uh, Charles, why don't you continue with those birthdays of folks who are still with us? All right. Even though I'm not going to get quite as much detail, I didn't get time to research like Eric did on his his members. James Sticking played Captain Styles in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Stephen Webster played Colonel Day in DS9's The Siege. And perfect for tonight's episode. Samantha Egger played Maria Picard in TNG's The Family. That is Picard's brother's wife. Good episode where we got to learn a little bit about Picard's past. Barbara Eve Harris played Captain Emily Bosch in Picard's The Impossible Box. Marine Missimo uh, played Balance in TNG's Loud as a Whisper. One of the three curse for, I can't think of his name, but the one who could not was deaf. Yeah, that's a but great episode. Also, but she's also well known, if I give you her technically full name, of Marine Mimosa de, de Lance. Oh, didn't we just see Delance say on screen last week? Yes. She is married to Q. And finally, Jim gave me a big one. Jonathan Delarco, who played Hugh in TNG's Ivor, Descendants Part 2, and several episodes in Picard. Happy birthday to all those. And Jim's got a few more on his list. Yep, I've got a few good ones. And, of course, I always save the Klingons for last. Uh, so bear that in mind. Um, we'd like to say happy birthday to Heidi Swedberg, who played Reckon in DS9's Profit and Loss. Joanna Mills, who played Perrin in TNG Steric, uh, his second human wife. Um, we'd also like to say happy birthday to Donna Murphy, who played Anish in Insurrection. Um, mm. Yeah. Come on. No, 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 right no, no. Don't diss the movie. She was okay. I, yeah, 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 yeah. See, I, I'll just move on. Uh, we'd also like to say happy birthday and live long and prosper to Jolene Blaylock, who played T'Pol in Enterprise, and I think she was in one of, one of, in my opinion, top Star Trek episodes of all series, and yep. of course that was Carbon Creek. Carbon that Creek. episode is just, ah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, so just, good, you guys, and, and she was given a lot of hard things to act as a Vulcan, and she did a fantastic job. Like, whether you like T'Pol's journey or not, Jolene Blaylock knocked it out of the park. She played her own grandmother? Yep. I think it was. Yeah, well, her own grandmother. Well, not, not just grandmother, like ancestor. It was many generations back, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, and 
And we found out where Velcro came from as well, which was interesting. Um, from the Balkans, like everything cool. I just, that, that, there's two episodes that I highly recommend. If, if you're not going to watch anything on Enterprise, if you're going to skip it completely because you hate the theme song or for whatever reason you may have, and you're not going to watch any of it, I have two, two episodes that I recommend you watch. The first one is Carbon Creek, and the second one is Regeneration. Just watch those two, and then move on. Also watch the three episodes that start with The Forge. Oh, the stalagmites. Yes, they're cool, too. (laughs) That's right. Oh, There's there's, there's quite a few good ones. Well, there is. Yeah, there's a, there are some, most of the really good ones are in the fourth season. Um, Yeah, true. But uh, Carbon Creek and Regeneration, two two single episodes um, that I recommend you watch. And then from there you can move on. Um, And last but not least, I saw we saved the Klingons for last. And I got a pretty good one here tonight. We want to say kapla and welcome to Stovacore. To Patrick Mistet, who played Duras in TNG's Sins of the Father <laughs> and Reunion. And I, I got to tell you. Yeah, go ahead. I uh, can't say Duras without hissing. I know, right? <laughs> and he, um, you know, when, when he killed Kalar oh. in Reunion, oh. I, I, I just, I love Kalar. When he killed her. And then Worf turns around and kills him. I was like, yes! <laughs> I was yeah. like, uh, yeah, it, that was awesome. Yeah. So we anyways, talked- guys. He's like, you know, this is the time of year that my family is about to celebrate Purim, which is a Jewish holiday. And there's a guy whose name, when you say it, his Haman, you're supposed to hiss and make lots of sound. And I feel like that's the way Duras is. You say Duras's name and you're just like... <laughs> <laughs> I know you just you can't help it. <laughs> so, guys, that is wraps up our birthday for this week. Uh, but don't touch that dial. We still have a lot of Trek talking left to go through. Trek talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, seven thirty to nine thirty. All hailing frequencies are open iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And welcome back. We decided to cut out the Star Trek uh, convention calendar and Star Trek news this week because we just have so much to talk about. But, but. There is one story that I felt was definitely worthy of mentioning, and I believe it, it kind of ties in to Strange New Worlds uh, just a little bit. Well, more than a little bit, actually. And uh, Eric, what's our one and only story for tonight? Uh, this is a, um, a sad story, Jim. Uh, Laurel Goodwin, Star Trek and Girls, Girls, Girls actress, uh, unfortunately has died at 79 years old. Uh, Laurel Goodwin, an actress who appeared in Girls, 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 and the rejected Star Trek pilot, of course, The Cage, died February 25th at age 79. Born August 11th, 1942 in Wichita, Kansas, 
Goodwin made her big screen debut in the 1962 musical comedy Girls, Girls, Girls opposite Elvis Presley, which, if you want my personal opinion and you want to watch one Elvis movie, that's the one to watch. Uh, the actress was also the last surviving member of the original pilot for Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek titled The Cage, in which she portrayed Yeoman J.M. Colt opposite Jeffrey Hunter's Captain Pike and Leonard Nimoy's Spock. Alas, the Maiden episode finished in 1965 was ultimately scrapped after negotiations with Hunter fell through. However, snippets from The Cage were featured in the 1966 Star Trek episode The Menagerie. Meanwhile, the pilot was released in its entirety on VHS in 1986. After her Star Trek stint went belly up, the actress appeared in TV shows ranging from Get Smart to the Beverly, Hillbill Beverly Hillbillies and Mannix. Goodwin also appeared in a variety of hit flicks of the 60s, including the Jackie Gleason comedy Papa's Delicate Condition from 1963 and the Western's Stage to Thunder Rock, 1964, Law of the Lawless from 64 as well, and The Glory Guys from 1965. Goodwin also produced the Burt Reynolds, Lonnie Anderson action comedy Stroker Ace in 1983, along with her husband, Walter Wood, with whom she had a 43-year relationship until his death in 2010. So unfortunately, folks, we have lost uh, Yeoman Colt from the TOS years uh, in the cage, in the menagerie. Uh, there you go. And she, she uh, was the, the last surviving member of that crew. So now everybody that was in the cage has passed away with her passing, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, and I sad. just felt that that story was worth, uh, was worth mentioning tonight because we're going to be talking about strange new worlds and, I wanted to get that one in there. So, all right, anyways. So, here we go, guys. Have you been watching your trailers lately? Have you seen the new one for oh, Strange New Worlds, which dropped no yesterday? Oh, I love Anson Mount. He's the bomb. He, and uh, I'm so excited for this new show. And I have been waiting and waiting and waiting for them to give us something to talk about. Uh, we know the characters. They did a little reveal with the characters, uh, but still nothing physical from the show. Well, we, we have that now. I'm going to play for you guys the uh, Strange New Worlds teaser clip. It's only a minute long, but there's a lot crammed into that minute. So if you haven't seen it yet, just sit back and relax and give it a listen um, and enjoy it. I, I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I do, and then we're going to talk about it. stars there are in the sky, no matter how many galaxies swirl beyond our own, 
No matter what the mathematical probabilities or the number of times we say, we are not alone in the universe. Our first visit from the stars is always the province of children's stories and science fiction. Until one day, it isn't. So the first thing I'm going to mention, of course, is the incredible music. In <laughs> yeah, of course. Clip. Of course. Okay. If that music does not invoke Star Trek, and what I really like about it is it's not the, oh, it's not that, it's, it's not that, that, that classic um, song, yet it still is. <laughs> um, I, I cannot wait to hear what they do with that, but so far... I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. The clip, uh, we, last time we saw Captain Pike, um, he knows about his death now because he grabbed the crystal from Borath. So he knows that he's going to end up in the wheelchair. Uh, but that didn't seem to affect him in uh, Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. Um, you know, he said that a man has to face his destiny. So... Uh, he seemed to be handling it pretty well at that point in time. However, we don't know what happens after Discovery jumps to the future, what happens here in our current timeline. But we do know from the cage that he was thinking about leaving Starfleet. Remember, Dr. Boyce comes in and gives him a drink and oh, he's yeah. going to leave Starfleet because he doesn't want to be responsible for the lives of 203 people. And he was contemplating leaving. And the way this trailer picks up, it seems to me like he did leave Starfleet. Yeah, um, for sure. Where, there's, there's definitely a moment know, at the very beginning of this one, Jim, where you see him with his scraggly beard, and he's, like, staring off into space as if he is contemplating, uh, you know, all his regrets in life. So I would absolutely agree, and I think that is awesome because that's a, that's a like, come-back-to-life story, right? That's exactly the type of story that we love to watch. And... And we, he does have a horse, but he lived in Arizona, if I remember correctly, from the cage. Um, in this <laughs> clip, he's riding a horse across the snow. In the snow. Um, in the which is in Arizona. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, I'm sure they'll the, explain it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not nitpicking. I'm just saying that he, he, did, he did have a horse. But it was in Arizona. It wasn't in this snow like, I have to tell city. you, I, I honestly think this is because Anson Mount himself has horses and himself has land in places that have snow and loves to ride his horses across land that has snow. So uh, I, I believe this is one of those times. I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that this is one of those times where they're actually bringing the real life of the actor into the character. And I'm fine with it. I'm totally, yeah, totally, totally fine totally. with it. Yeah. Now, there is a – when he's sitting with his scraggly beard, this caught me. I wasn't – this was weird. If you watch the trailer, when he's sitting there with his scraggly beard, the camera pans across. Now, it, the voiceover sounds like number one to me. Did that – did you think that was – was that number one? Mm, I did not think that was number one. No. Okay, uh, I thought that, – that sounded like number one to me. Yeah, maybe. But – 
Maybe not. I don't know. But that doesn't matter. I just wanted to throw that out there. It, to me, it sounded like, like Rebecca, but maybe not. I mean, Actually, does, things, it doesn't matter who the who, who did it. It's it doesn't just, really matter who it was, but like if we're talking about him riding the horse, Jim, can we talk about the way that that shuttlecraft swoops in across the snow as he's riding that horse? And it's a redesigned TOS style shuttlecraft, which has to me all of the basic elements of like a Galileo. You know, something like that, uh, but but has just like a couple of little tweaks that kind of kick it up a notch and make it 21st century, or I shouldn't say 21st century, but like make the television part of it <laughs> more up to date. I just love well, that scene. In that clip, though, it, it looked like, okay, I'm going to go way back here. I'm going to go back to 50, fo- 50 foot Spock days. Do you remember the aqua shuttle that we saw on TOS? It was pointed like a wedge. Sure. It kind of reminds me of that. On on the animated series, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It did. It 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 did because it had the angle. Yeah, no, the the aqua, you're absolutely right. The aqua shuttle was like a flatter, kind of more angular version of like a Galileo shuttle. uh, And it had kind of a curved cockpit. So it didn't look a little bit different, you know, kind of a, a hybrid between the two, maybe. And did you notice when he was he was in his cabin, I don't know, wherever he was, he had a phone with a cord and an old-fashioned radio? Did you catch that? And it was a rotary phone, nonetheless. It wasn't even a touchstone phone. I did not like, miss that. Wow. Or I did not catch wow. that. Yeah, that's wild. Oh, yeah, it you're was right. A black, I'm looking it was at a it right black now. phone. <laughs> With a it's black a bake, cord on it's it. It's a black Bakelite phone. Yeah, I love yeah, it. That is a, that is a that classic phone right there. What is it? Three hundred years old in that in that clip? Yo, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this would definitely that phone is from probably about the time that Star Trek actually came out. So yeah, probably mid '60s. So three hundred years in the future. Yeah, that's an old phone. I noticed that right away. And the reason why I noticed it, I, I'm going to be a little anal here, is because. The fact that he that that he he's in this cabin and he has this old phone tells me that uh, he's got a a a penance for the past, kind of like Captain Kirk used to, and he's into like like the old antique type of things, and and then it says a lot about the the character itself, the surroundings of him, and I noticed that right away, mm-hmm. so that was really cool, I thought, and the 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 um the music and the, 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 the wording, the way they present strange new worlds. I thought that was really great. And the planet, they're on a planet in this wearing space suits. I think they show a couple of different planets. I mean, uh, one of the things that I noticed Jim was like, there's kind of like this big color shift in the, in the trailer, like the first half of the trailer is really blue, which I think is really consistent with like Federation and kind of the new, um, you know, discovery, the way they're kind of shooting things. Then about halfway through the trailer, I think we go to Vulcan, right? Because the sky becomes very red and we see Spock, I believe, from the back looking out across Vulcan, which I think was really cool, too. Uh, for a minute long trailer it, it with with the premiere of Picard 
and uh, Discovery wrapping up, and now they drop Strange New Worlds on us. I'm just like in Trekkie heaven. It's drinking from a fire hose, man. It really is. It's like all it's just, of the good things. And and even if you, the thing I love about it is that they've decided to go for, I think both quantity and quality because I personally believe the stuff they're putting out is good. And even if you only believe the stuff they're putting out is uh, six out of ten, if there's a ton of it coming out, that's not a bad place to be in, right? And no, I think that is way better than a six. <laughs> we have different. We have a. We've said this before. Uh, if you look at Picard, it's a show about a, a character at the end of his career. If you look at Discovery, it's about a character at the beginning of her career. And if you look at Strange New Worlds, it, it's about a captain at right in the, in the height middle. of yeah. his career. The then year. we have Prodigy, which is made for younger children. Then we have Lower Decks, which is animated, but I feel it's, it, it appeals to a wider range of, of people. I don't feel that, that Lower Decks is aimed necessarily at children because there's no, a lot of no, no, adult no, no, jokes no. in it. Lower Decks, so, Lower Decks is the show that you watch when you're either A, a massive Star Trek fan already, or B, you just like really fast, quippy humor, which it comes, you know, comes at you like bullets, just flying, flying, flying. And if you get all the references, then you're just, you're so happy. <laughs> yeah. So we have, we have Star Trek shows across the board to appeal to everybody. And if you don't like one, you like the other. If you don't like that one, you like this one. There, there's something there for everybody, and you don't have to like everything. But there's something on the plate for everybody, and that's what I like about the new Star Trek universe that's being laid out for us right now. There's something for everybody. That's pretty cool. And we haven't heard from Charles. What, what did you think about Strange New Worlds, Charles? Spill it. Well, I've only gotten to see it about once. I was at work, saw it, and it's like, okay, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it again. But it caught my attention. Definitely, it's like, okay, that's a good start. And then I was thinking, okay, Jim's over there foaming at the mouth. because like, okay, there's his crush. There's Anson Mount. The man. And it looks like it's got an interesting story. They got an interesting story starter with it. It's like, okay. We got some meat. We got some interesting meat coming to this first story. Like, okay, I want to see what happens with them because I've seen that. We've seen. I've seen Anson Mount from season two of Discovery, but I've also seen Pike from the book, The Enterprise Incident. In there, and it's like, okay, I really want to see what direction you want to take him. And I think we're getting to the fact that we're looking at this one, giving a captain that has a bit of a weakness. He maybe he did back away from the Federation for a little while. Okay, what happened? Why? What? He knows a bit of his future. Okay, I think I want to know what's going on in his head. And I can't wait to see some of the crew that we're going to meet, some of the stories we're going to get that we didn't get from TOS. And I'm looking forward to it. And one of the things that I noted, one of the things, um, 
I hear a lot of fans uh, are already, um, how do I want to put this? I think that what they're going to do with Strange New Worlds is all, all Star Trek has been cut down to 10 episodes now. So we know that. Uh, we're going to get 10 episode seasons cut and dry. Um, so there, there's that. But one of the things that I think they're going to do with Strange New Worlds is it's not going to be episodic like TNG and TOS and, and used to be. But it's not going to be fully serialized like Picard and Discovery. It's going to be a hybrid of the two, which yeah. when I think about that, I think of what they, were, what they started to do with DS9 and what they did with yeah. um, Enterprise, um, where you had individual uh, episodes, but they were part of a bigger arc. And I think that that can really work really well for the way they're planning on doing this show. So I'm looking forward to seeing that myself. Well, especially especially when we have the issue right now of like, okay, yes, back when we had these series out there, you can miss an episode or two. Because if you missed a week, unless you had a VCR, you couldn't, you didn't keep track, keep up with it. And maybe had to see it in summer rerun. Whereas now, okay, we can go in and stream it. Oh, I missed an episode this week. Well, I just go back and watch it anyway, because I can watch it streaming. You can see the episodes in order now easily than when you could back then. You know, that's so interesting, Charles, because I actually, when Anson Mount said what he said in that trailer that we all saw months and months ago where he said that this show was going to take an episodic approach, my assumption was that you would actually be able to watch these episodes out of order as if you were watching them on reruns, you know, back in the 80s or 90s. Um, and so the fact that this trailer has come out and it shows kind of a, a haggard Anson Mount uh, 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 Pike to start with, that tells me that, yes, it is actually going to have some serial nature to it because they're going to show some character development along the way. But somehow they did say that it was supposed to be episodic. So I'm really I'm just really interested if that's what they really meant. Or if it's more like DS9, which is like, yeah, you could watch it episodically out of order, but really it makes more sense if you would just watch it in order because then you understand what's really happening. Well, I think that I think that back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, when they made these shows, they made them for syndication. So you could watch them in any order, didn't matter. But I think today, with only 10 episodes... Remember we, when we talked to Noah last week? He binges all the whole thing all at one time. I know. And so, and so many people do that. So do you think that that's what they – so I, by I, episodic, they don't mean old school episodic? They mean this new version of episodic? Yeah, I think because I've said yeah. it before, but here's the thing. You watch TOS, and in one episode, Spock fall, or Kirk falls deeply in love with Maramani. She dies. He's heartbroken. He beams up to the Enterprise. Next week, he's running around with a green Orion woman. He for- completely forgot about Miramani. The following week, he goes down to the Guardian of Forever, falls in love with Edith Killer. The next week, he's running around with the woman from 
conscience of the king. And you could watch them in any order, and nothing mattered that happened previously. The characters, it was like the following week, they forgot about everything that they went through the week before. Audiences today, Star Trek fans will tell you otherwise, but I don't think they know what they're saying. Audiences today are a little bit more sophisticated and expect a little bit more out of their entertainment than what we were given back then. And if, if, if Captain Picard gets assimilated by the Borg last week and he's forced to kill thousands and thousands and thousands of Starfleet officers, when the next episode comes on, they better deal with that fact. If they don't, people aren't going to be happy. So I think that when they say that it's going to be more episodic, I think that they can do, it can be episodic, but I think that the character arcs, what what the characters deal with from episode to episode to episode has to travel with them in that episode in order to work, in my opinion. Right on. I was going to use, Jim used the exact one I was going to talk about is when Picard got taken over by the, by the board and we got Lacutus and we had one episode where he dealt with that issue and went down with to see his family. And the next time we dealt with the issue, we were in the movie. The season was, uh, the, the series was over and we were in the movie. Right. But now we go to Picard and it's talked about. It's dealt with mentioned. It's discussed. Exactly. So, well, guys, please check out the Strange New Words trailer and bop over to our Facebook page. Tell us what you thought about it. Are you as excited about it as we are? I know I am. I love the music so far, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Anson Mount uh, really dig his acting chops into this character and meeting the crew and seeing where they go with it. So listen, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We have tons of Star Trek to talk about. Up next, we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Rosetta, which was last week's episode. So quick, run to the bathroom, run to the microwave, and hurry right back because you want to join this conversation. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. We're talking about Star Trek Discovery, Rosetta. And every week on our Facebook page, I post a question to you guys. And I ask you guys, what did you think of this week's episode? In this case, we have a double header. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best, how do you, as our fans, score it? And uh, before we hear what you guys have to say, I want to play the trailer for Rosetta just to set the mood. This planet must have been the 10 C's home at some point. I will find something down there. I promise. Time is of the essence. In other words, don't screw it up. Any life signs? I do not need any life signs, including ours. We need to figure out who they are and how to talk to them. Let's go. 
want to go on board. Discovery. The access point I need is an engineer. One wrong move, and it's over for both of us. How do you talk here? Do you understand now? I do. I seem to be feeling things I have not felt for quite some time. What are you feeling? Becoming upset. Dun, 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 dun. Saru's got the old pheromones going on like he used to have. So, Eric, what did our fans on our Facebook page have to say about Rosetta? Well, Jason R. LaCroix said, it was amazing. I give it a 10. Uh, Michael Malagrande gave it a 5. Hearing characters say move forward took me out of the episode twice. A painful reminder that the scriptwriters are stuck in 2022. Top fan Mark Newstrom said definitely nine. Well paced, nothing seemed crammed in. Hooray for Detmer, my favorite character, playing a key role. So good to have Reno and Linus back as well. A couple of nice, subtle twists at the end. Well done by everyone. Uh, George Villaverde said a three. They're really dragging out the storyline, and the filler episodes in between are not good. Darren Walker said, setting up things uh, so far, five suits were actually, uh, suits were actually cool this time around. Not sure. Oh, the suits, uh, the space suits were actually cool this time around. So I actually agree. I totally dug those. Uh, Darren gave it a four, uh, a five, excuse me. Alan Dale Tackett gave it a nine. Top fan Kevin Joseph gave it an eight. Daniel Buffano gave it a 10. Leon D. Royster gave it an 8.5, and Jose Leandro gave it a 7. So you average out our fan scores this week, Jim, and we only get about a, a 7.5 or so. So 7.5. And you know what I've noticed what's strange about Discovery is you have fans that love it and fans that hate it, and very few in between. You know, it's either a three yeah. or a five or a yeah. nine or a ten. There's yeah, really no, no – it's, it's weird. I, I Well, it's and, really, and, you and know. can I – not to spend, like, too much time on it, Jim, but I, I think that one of the things that I personally have really noticed about Discovery this season is that they are very much focusing on relationships, on, um, you know, the – the characters actually supporting one another when they make decisions or when they make mistakes or that kind of stuff. It seems to me that they're doing an extremely good job of modeling just generally good behavior, uh, you know, <laughs> like how to actually respect the person who's standing next to you. And you may not agree with their opinions, but uh, you acknowledge them and then you tell them what your opinions are and then you sort of move on. And I've just noticed that every single conversation that they've had in Discovery this year is like, blah, 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 A. Okay, I understand that you see A, but when I look at this problem, I see B. And can we talk about that a little bit? And that is a thing that I think not every single fan is totally in line with. I think some people just kind of want to be they want to know what the right answer is. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. But to me, Star Trek is at its best when people are asking questions for which there are no absolute answers. I, I agree. I, especially coming out of the pandemic, I think what, what they're doing on Discovery 
is perfect because people need people. We've been locked yeah. away in, in solitude and, you know, to see how, to see people interacting with people is something that we definitely need. So um, our overall fan score for this episode was 7.5. And there was a couple of things I want to talk about. One of our fans mentioned it, Detmer. What did you guys think about Detmer actually being Woo-hoo. the key to this whole episode? Was that not awesome? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah that, that was, was that was so cool that was amazing i mean i mean she she is not only the one who kind of like figures out the whole shenanigans that's going on and figures out how to get them out of it but i i my personal favorite line is at the very beginning when they're leaving the discovery and um and uh blue Dobario looks over her sorry that's the actor's name uh looks over her and like yeah, Adira's like looks over her and is like, "Fly good," yes. <laughs> and she's like, "I will," and then she does. That's just so kick-ass. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, what did you think about Adira and Detmer's uh, relationship in this episode? They had a very interesting scene together, and we got to learn a little bit more yeah. about Adira and how she feels about Detmer. What do you think, oh, Charles? Oh, definitely. I was, that's, this was definitely one that caught my attention. It's like, okay, you get, we know Adira's young. They, excuse me, they are young. And you I like the idea that, okay, they are not showing confidence. They're very unsure about themselves. And they look up to a crew member. And I don't think she's looking for a relationship relationship. They want friends that they can see different points of view on. And it's like, I, they were scared to approach her. Oh, I lo- they like what she does, mm-hmm. but they are scared to approach her. Yep. And I love the line. It's like, remember that line, fly good? Yeah. You just forget that. <laughs> and, and Demer says, no, let's not forget it. Let's remember it every day. Yep. And it's like, yep. okay, we've got a new friendship going on in there. And it's like, okay, we're getting real connections in here. And I think it's going to add more detail to Discovery that's going to make it more interesting. Absolutely. Understanding a dearest character. And uh, we have a caller on the line here. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Truck Talk. And what's your name and where you're calling us from tonight? Hey, my name's David. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. Hey, David from Portland. How you doing, Dave? Yeah, pretty good. I think I did a big boo-boo there. I forgot to watch uh, last week's episode. Oh, that's a problem. Oh, did we ruin it for you? Uh-oh. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. That's all right. Should have called I think it's a triple score or something. <laughs> I, um, I also wanted to ask you guys, what did you think about? Well, I'll ask. I'll ask Eric this one. What did you think about the the conversation 
between President Relic and Dr. Hira? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, personally, I, I, I love President Relic and the way that she frames conversations all the time. And I just feel like she is completely on top of um, just, you know, the way that things need to flow. I mean, there are a couple of good uh, scenes, I think, in this episode with her. There's, there's one with hers. There's one with, uh, with Michael Burnham. Uh, so yeah, I. So, I mean, to me, she's like the perfect politician because she is the politician who actually does things with a reverence for the people whom she's representing, and that to me is something that is um, lacking a little bit in real life these days. And I just really appreciate that Star Trek is representing that right now. And. And what about the scene? What do you think about uh, General Adoya working with Book? Ugh. I uh, mean, it makes it makes total sense, like from the story standpoint, the way that they're driving this story right now. But um, I just so guys, so okay, so here's my opinion on this one, Jim. <laughs> you have to go all the way back to when Quajon was destroyed, because. Book's whole motivation because his home planet was destroyed. And it's like it's like if you took Princess Leia when Alderaan was destroyed and you actually took a realistic approach to her reaction to it rather than the way that Star Wars actually approached it. I think Star Trek is a much more accurate representation of how a person would react if their planet was destroyed. And so nothing that Book is doing right now is rational. Um and and so, you know, the fact that he's, like, recruiting Endoya because he sees an opportunity there, like, okay, I get it, but Book is just making bad decisions right now because I still think Tarka is in it for himself, and that's it. It's all yeah. selfish from Tarka's standpoint, right? And And Book feels a righteousness about it. Like, he, this is the guy who was saving the transforms. Right. He like his his like jam is that he is a Robin Hood type guy and his planet has been destroyed. And so he's completely lost. So in some ways, I love that Discovery is representing what like the extremities of what a person with such a level of loss is willing to do. And in some ways, I'm like, come on, book, just come back around, buddy, like. Like, pay attention to Burnham. Pay attention to the people you like. He keeps talking about the people he loves, right? In this episode, he's like, I really love these people. And they da 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 But I still got to do this crazy stuff. So, I don't know. I, the, I, I think that they're portraying Book in a really good way right now that is totally frustrating me. And I know that that, that was an aside to the Endoye um, discussion. But I think that's how he pulls her in, right? Because she, she's... Like, you've got to look at it from Earth's point of view, too. They have been out of the Federation for some amount of time. I can't remember what it is, but I, think, I feel like it's, like, 100 years or so. And so they're pretty cautious. Like, people were attacking them over and over and over again because that's the heart of the Federation, right? And so her, like, position that she's working from is a defensive position versus, like, Burnham's position, which is a open and, like, hopeful position um and so just like it always keeps doing i feel like star trek discovery right now is showing us that 
when you close yourself off and say that, you know, the only way you can survive is by relying only on yourself, well, that's BS. That's actually not true. You actually have to open up. You actually have to, like, allow other people into your life to be really successful. So, anyway, sorry, I got up on a soapbox there for a little bit, but I just love the whole, like, book and Doye um, relationship and the way that that plays out in this episode. And I, I just got to say, Jet Reno! Come oh, on! My God. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Hanging out with it's Linus. Amazing in this episode, you guys, she lays down so much knowledge. <laughs> and, and it was great to see Jet Reno not with Stamets. Yeah. You know? And totally agree. Th- did, did did you catch the reference to Lower Decks? <laughs> yeah, the steamed bananas. <laughs> the steamed bananas? <laughs> I was just like, wow. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I loved it. And yeah. the, the, the one last thing I wanted to mention before we move on to Picard, cause, which we've got a lot to talk about with Picard, was the fact that the, the way they're portraying the 10C, I've heard all kinds of things on the internet about it. But the one thing that I want to say about 10C, and I haven't watched tonight's episode, so is that they are a truly, truly alien species. This isn't going to be people with rubber glued onto their foreheads. Um, their, the, the bone was massive. The, bones. Yeah. the bone was huge. And Culber says that they, they were like cartridges so they could float in the gas layer. So yeah. I'm thinking, you know, like like giant jellyfish type things like we saw yeah. in Encounter at Farpoint type of thing. Um, they communicate using emotion, which is extremely interesting, I yeah. think. So yeah. this, we're going to see something that we haven't really seen on Star Trek before. And this is a truly alien species not people well, with like rubber on their head you know yeah um, i mean to me to me jim the best part of this episode is the whole idea that they figure out the way that they can actually communicate with a species that it that they have zero information about right they find like some artifacts and they find like, like some old stuff that's they and they science it out and i love those those scenes in this episode where they're sort of just standing there talking about their ideas about what's going on. Because to me, like as a human being, that's why the group is so much stronger than the individual. Because when we stand around and we talk about stuff together, we can come up with ideas and solutions that we can't possibly come up uh, with if we're, if we're in a silo by ourselves. And this episode really nailed that on the head. Yeah. I was talking to Eric or to Charles before the show. After watching that, that, that blow your mind Picard episode, two episodes, and then watching this one, I kind of felt this one was like, blah. But then I went back, I watched it a second time. And although it didn't have the excitement and the bang and the pow and the, the, the uh, you know, what Picard did, which we're going to talk about next, it did have a lot of Star Trek in it. Yeah. Like you were saying, it, it, was, yeah. it, it was there. It was, it was there. If you watched it, it was all there. A truly alien race. 
they're trying to figure how they're going to communicate. Kind of reminded me of Darmok when the walls fell at Tanagra type of thing. Totally. Yep. And so I'm very impressed with where they're going with this. And I'm kind of concerned with how they're going to wrap it all up in one episode. (laughs) I know. How can you do it? We do know there's a season five. So I don't know. We'll have to see. But at any rate, so uh, what would you give this episode? Our fans gave it a 7.5. So, Eric, 1 to 10. Uh, I'm going to give this episode an 8. And it was a little bit slower, but it's really the, the scenes where they stand around figuring out stuff together that I really, really love about this episode. So solid 8. 8. Charles, how about you? I got to go with Eric. Eight's a good one. And by the way, we still have one more episode next week. So they don't have to finish it tonight. They can rack it up in two episodes. Yeah, it's still going to be... Well, we'll see. I haven't watched tonight, so we'll I see. don't know. We'll see. Right. David, you said you didn't get a chance to watch it, right? That's correct. All right. So we'll we'll give you... You can abstain... From this vote, and I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking about an eight, so we're we're a little bit above what our fans said, but we're all in agreement. An eight has that ever happened before? Where's well, Nate? I, I don't think. Yeah, I know. No, where's Nate? <laughs> we need a four point five in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where's Nate? Nate. All because I didn't watch the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do like Jim. I feel like that eight versus the seven point something from our fans really is about the appreciation for the standing around and talking about stuff that happens in this episode, right? Because there is a fair yeah, bit of that. There is, and and you, you have to you have to watch the the standing around and talking about stuff is exactly what the episode is about. The, the, right, what's exactly. going on is how they figure it out. So yeah. Yeah, I liked it. So uh, up next, we're going to talk about Star Trek Picard. Stargazer, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. (laughs) Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30. All hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. We're talking about Star Trek Picard, Stargazer, which was the first episode of Season 2. And boy, let me tell you, was it a doozy. So, um, Eric... I, before we get started, I don't have a sound clip to play for this particular episode because it was the premiere episode. Um, so, but I do want to say, no, I won't say that till afterwards. So, Eric, what did our fans have to say? Well, our fans are uh, coming out of the word, woodwork on this one. Uh, Julian Phillips said a nine. It felt like proper Star Trek. Perhaps the writers of Picard can give some guidance to those on Discovery, question mark. Um, Rionan McKenzie said an absolute 10. This is Picard that we've been needing. Hopefully it holds up throughout the season. Randy Bowling gave it a 10 plus. 
It was definitely well worth the long wait. Miguel Abaran Veliz gave it a 9. I can't objectively give it a 10 because I'm loving it too much. Uh, that means he expects he knows it's going to go somewhere. Uh, Ap- April Jew gave it a 9. Not perfect, but wonderful. Full of nostalgia and a great story is coming. Live long and prosper. Top fan Stefan Hale gave it a 9.5 out of 10. After decades, we're finally getting back to the golden era of Trek. 24th, 25th century, so much to love and so much nostalgia. It made me so happy. Top fan Raymond Lynn said, wow, it was great. I gave it a 9. Would have given it a 10 if I could have seen the Sulu. Uh, That is true. They mentioned the Sulu ship, but we did not get to see it. Jeffrey Jenkins, 10 plus, the stargazer. I mean, Captain Rios, ship, such a sight to see. Thanks, Jeffrey. And top fan Mark Newstrom said, definitely a nine. Marvelous concepts and getting everyone back into action. Ooh, such a nasty kiss tease, you meanies. Hope that relationship comes to fruition, so to speak. You know what I'm talking about. Ending dialogue is as wonderful as it's ever been What a great start to season two. And Bob Jones wraps us up with impressed exclamation point 9.5. A modern Star Trek that was very good, question mark? Wow. Minus 0.5 because they should have known it was Borg far sooner, two of them having been Borg. So, Jim, that kind of summarizes us to a fan score for this episode of 9.5, which – is not our absolute highest episode, but I will say, I think it's our our best opener, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I um, I, I got to say, I got to start with the theme song. Did you guys notice yeah. they changed it? I was going to play yeah. it, but... Um, it's so... Yeah. Oh, are you not going to play it? Oh, uh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. I got to... Wait, wait. I got to find it. I'm not sure if it added... If it updated to my it. Kindle. If you got it, I, you should I, play it. I know I I know I downloaded it, but for some reason some of the sound bites didn't make it to my Kindle. I don't know why. Um, yeah. Okay. Wait. Oh yes. Well. Yes. Oh, you got it. Yes, I got it. I it did. So one of the things I noticed right away was the opening sequence. They changed yeah. the theme song. Yeah. Um, so let me play it for you guys. Here's the theme song for Picard season two.
Wow. Look, I, first of all, I love what they've done with the theme song. They changed it, uh, but they still kept the essence, and it still has that Picard sound. You still have the Rescue and Flute. You still have the Star Trek fanfare, and it still feels like Picard, even though it's slightly different. I loved it. What did you guys yeah, think? Did you like this well, theme song? Yeah. To me, to me, Jim, it felt like the Empire Strikes Back version of the theme song because you get all of the kind of comfort and love of the season one theme, but it has this like perilous undertones um, that you know you uh, sort of play through the whole thing. So they, to me, as a person who mixes sound quite a bit. I'm looking and I'm seeing that they're actually taking the themes, the, the tracks that they're using in season one and they're reusing those, but they're overlaying them with things that make it sound like Picard is in some deep doo-doo, which in a little bit he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a couple of things I want to mention about this episode that um, – I don't know if we need to talk about them, but some things I want to mention and some points I want to talk about. The first point that I want to mention is that it was great to see Deltons in Star Trek again. I had to go back and and make sure they weren't (laughs) on the Delton homeworld, but she specifically says Delton. So when Girardi and uh, Soji are talking to all those bald people sitting around the table, (laughs) they're Deltons which was Lieutenant Ilea from Star Trek The Motion Picture, and I thought that was so cool. So kudos to them for pulling the Deltons out. But I didn't I, – I wasn't sure because I didn't see a bunch of horny people running around. So did they control no. their pheromones or something? No, but I, that, I, no that, that dude was pretty forward with Girati. Like he was like, hey, yeah. baby, what's up? <laughs> and, and that brings me to another point I wanted to make, which, which um, me and Charles were talking about at the top of the show – they cleared Girardi of all murder charges. Mm-hmm. And they mention it in that scene right there with the horny Delton dude who's trying to hit on her. So, boom, they took care of that problem right off the bat. Um, when Picard is giving his lecture at Starfleet Academy, I noticed there are new members of the Academy. And um, I looked at the flags that were flying behind him, and there were four new ones there. One of them was the Klingon flag, obviously. That was easy. The Bajoran flag, the Ferengi flag, and the flag of the Romulan Free State. So the Federation has new members. The biggest one that surprised me was the Klingons. So, but, um, but wait a second. Weren't the Klingons added as a result of Star Trek VI? Well, I don't know if they were... I. Yeah, they're no, dude. They're 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 not new members. They were actually part of the Federation throughout the entirety of TNG, I think. Well, no, they were never part of the Federation. They were fighting with the no, Federation. They they they, uh, they were at they were at peace with the Federation because of the Kittimer Accords, which which Gowron pulled them out of. But they were never part of the Federation. They didn't join the Federation. And I think I might be totally wrong with this. But I'm thinking that when Worf leaves Deep Space Nine with Martok to go back to the Klingon homeworld when Martok became the new Gowron, I think that's when we may have seen the Klingons join the Federation. We didn't actually ever see it happen. But I think it's safe to assume that with Worf and Martok 
in charge of the Klingon Empire. Yeah. That would only make sense. Um, yeah, I but I wanted to mention that. I, I wanted to mention that. I was looking at the flags, and I found it interesting, the flags that we did see, because there is a Ferengi on Deep Space Nine, I mean, on Discovery, that's going to meet the 10C, and he just stands around in the background. He never says anything. We don't know his name, but he's there. They've made yeah. a point of showing him to us. They so have. I just wanted they to mention that. Uh, another thing that I wanted to mention uh, was that, we, like we already mentioned, that the USS Hikaru Sulu, he has his own starship. We don't see it, but they mention Woo-hoo! it. They also mention the USS Grissom as well in that same clip, which I thought was really cool. So, David, so, you know that the USS Sulu, uh, you take an action and you get plus two defense dice, right? And you can convert one battle station to an evade. <laughs> so, That's a little Star Trek attack wing joke there for y'all. So those were the uh, couple of points that I wanted to mention. So uh, I wanted to talk to Eric. What did you think about the Picard-Laris relationship, budding relationship? Uh, You guys, you know that I love me some romantic relationships. And the way that they approach this, whereby Laris is like very gentle and she's like, dude, I totally get you. I'm just trying to understand why you have decided to be by yourself all these years. And Picard basically, you know, comes out and more or less says, um, because I just didn't want to stop moving. Like I couldn't, I couldn't take the time for myself. So, so for me, this whole like relationship between Laris and Picard totally tracks because what they're trying to do is they're trying to advance the Picard character. And one of the things that Picard has never dealt with is the fact that he, it, every person craves, in, in, in my opinion, almost every person craves another person who kind of gets them, who sort of understands them who um, can share their experience. And whether that comes through friends or whether that comes through relationships, every person craves that. And in this one, you get the, the innate sense that Laris totally gets what's going on with Picard. And Picard actually feels a similar thing toward Laris. And they, and they deal with the whole like Laris Shaban thing which I think was really cool too. They're, they say, you know, Romulans can love over and over again. And I will say that there are humans that can love over and over again, right? Uh, that's not an odd thing. Um, and, and, and Picard is, is kind of like, he, he's, he goes right up to the point of almost accepting what he really wants to do. What does he say? He says something about how, oh, I can't remember the exact line like his heart it's like he can't follow the path that he wants to follow he he says this great line um where he you you get the sense that picard has this kind of unrequited part of himself that he's always wanted to explore that he's never felt like he could explore because he feels such a very strong sense of duty uh, and 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 that he has to constantly keep doing things. It's, it's this idea of always moving. So I really, really love the opening scene of this particular episode because they explore that quite a bit. And then I just want to say, Jim, the part that – can I say this on the air? 
the the part that's the total dick move <laughs> is when Picard leaves on the shuttlecraft and doesn't tell Laris where he's going. What the hell, dude? Like that to me, that to me is a thing that's actually going to come back to, or it should, if the writers were paying attention, should actually come back to haunt Picard because the fact that he leaves without telling her where he's going after that whole opening scene. It's just a travesty. It's really like it's one of the strongest points of this episode to me. Yeah, that was that was pretty low of him. It was pretty low. And, yeah, it was. It was very low. And well, uh, I can I imagine he had to leave in an emergency. So. Yeah, but it's not an emergency. It's hip. It's him making a choice of like this is where I want to go and this is what I want to deal with. And if he had taken a second thought and just like been like left her a note or something but he didn't maybe he, just he didn't literally show it. maybe he did <laughs> and no 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 well i i mean maybe they'll maybe we'll see it in a later episode but like it's very clear when you see her face in this episode that she is just like holy shit what just happened so <laughs> he just flew away and yeah. i wanted to ask i wanted to ask charles what, what do you think about the about rafi being the being the, the uh commander of uh, the USS Excelsior and Elnor being the first Romulan, full, full Romulan, because Picard made the, makes a point of pointing that out, the first full Romulan cadet in Starfleet. And uh, he's assigned to the USS Excelsior and takes off with Rafi. So what do you think about that relationship with Rafi and Elnor? That's developed. Well, over... it's, it's going to be an interesting relationship, but Especially while I was waiting for you two to finish the Rios book. One thing you definitely get that opinion of, and we get a taste of it in season one of Picard, is Rafi and Rios don't want anything to do with the Federation. They're all like, okay, we've left. We're out of the Federation. We don't want to be involved with them again. We must keep our distance from them. And one thing Jim skipped was, I like where they admit the time frame that's happened. The time frame is 18 months, a year and a half later. So it's like all the holes that we might have to deal with. Oh, that occurred in the past 18 months. We've had a time time frame change, but I cannot believe Rafi actually being in uniform again, and to see Rios after what happened to him, yeah, back in Starfleet. That's surprising that both, either one of them are there. I couldn't. I yeah, I can see Elnor. I can kind but, of see Elnor in the in as a cadet because I think. That he needs a direction, and Starfleet is a good direction, a mission to help him. Yep. But I also like Rafi's comments, like, "Yeah, well, he's aboard my ship because <laughs> there's there's gonna be some people wanting to kick his butt." His absolute candor. Absolute candor <laughs> issue. So, Charles, you brought this up. Let's talk about. The USS Stargazer. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, just the, can you, 
Oh, man, the oh, man. The beauty shot. Just, they gave a good dedication to the beauty shot. Oh, let's give you a just, good view of it. Let's give you right at the hole. Let's look right phenomenal. down the hole. There's the name. There's the registry. And look towards the back of it with those four nacelles. And look at the shuttle bay. And it's like, oh, beautiful view to the new ship. And it's the first it Federation is. ship that was made using Borg technology from the relic that we yeah. see in season one. And that comes into play a little bit later on yep. when the Borg queen beams aboard and shoots out her tentacles and takes control of the ship. Kind of reminded me of the Battlestar yeah. Galactica thing with the Cylons planting the bugs and all the colonial vipers in Battlestars. I thought yeah, that was Jim. really, well, I really also, cool. And I think, and I thought I think it was rather interesting. I thought it rather interesting that I saw many places is a placard for the Stargazer. The dedication placard. Everybody loves that placard. So you know a lot of people are really looking at that ship. Oh, yeah. Without yeah, a doubt. I think, yeah, I think one of the important uh, points that some of the people who watch the technicalities of Star Trek might be paying attention to as well is that, um, you know, the Voyager is actually the first ship that actually employs Borg technology, but this is the first one that employs technology researched from the artifact. So I think that's the difference. So if you're, if you're thinking that like, Oh, but what about the Voyager and Borg technology? Yes. The Voyager did have Borg technology, but this is the first ship, the Stargazer, to have employed uh, research directly from the, ar- the artifact itself. Now, let's talk, let's talk about the Borg Queen, and we're assuming these are the Borg. First of all, the ship doesn't look like any Borg ship we've ever seen. It's bigger than any Borg ship we've ever seen. It creates a subspace rift, which we've never seen of the Borg really do um they're not speaking as a hive collective they're all speaking in their own languages simultaneously which is also something different for the borg and the borg queen beams over and she's not the borg queen she's wearing this like this spider-man suit um with, <laughs> with, it's so so everything else, even though they is this really the borg i mean yeah well, what do you think? Oh yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I mean, uh, the the like the coolest thing about this to me is the fact that we are seeing a, a fundamental shift in what's happening with the Borg. Like we are not seeing a species which simply wants to assimilate those who are uh, in their way, you know, uh, to suck up their cultures and make them part of their own. We're seeing, uh, first of all, it comes across as a, um, as a, I want to join the Federation type message and which is intriguing, first of all, because you're like, well, why in the world would, would the, the Borg want to join like any sort of alliance at all? Because don't they just assimilate people and seven of nine actually says as much in this episode, but, um, they they come across as that and then and then 
she the thing I love about the way that the Borg are introduced here is that they're introduced in a in an aggressive way. Like um, they say, basically they come and they say, "We want to join the Federation." And the Federation's like, "Ooh, this is kind of weird." And then they're like, oh, there's some stuff going on. And then the Borg is like, I'm going to send this beam that goes through your shields, and I'm going to beam somebody directly to your bridge and start negotiations that way because that's how the Borg throw down. So I actually completely appreciated that part of this episode. It wasn't like they were sort of tap dancing around the relationship between the Federation and the Borg. The Borg came in heavy. And the Federation responded, and then there was an interesting dialogue that happened after that. So, anyway. And she didn't kill anybody. No. Either. And, 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 she, because... and what she says is she just says power. She's like, she wants power. She's low on power. She needs to, like, plug into some stuff to get some power. And so it's kind of scary that she's throwing out these tentacles, these, like, Dr. Octopus-style tentacles that are, like, <laughs> plugging into you know, the, 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 the helm and like all of those stations up front. But I think she's just looking literally for some power because I think there's a weakness here that's been identified in the border. Like, Oh my God, something bigger has come. That's not us. And we need some help. Yeah. I I I think she's secretly looking for the pink energized bunny. Yeah. The energizer bunny. (laughs) Yeah. We need more power. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I, yeah. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take the voices in a different direction. Jim says the voices came from the board. I think the voices came from the void, not the board. Because I think that's a call for the uh, people calling for Picard end of the episode. When he's on the he's in the new dimension or whatever we're saying is happening, I wonder if that's part of the group calling him because Ricard's who they need to save their people. I don't think it's from the board. Interesting. Well, I think it is the board because you hear them simultaneously talking like the board collective and seven of nine somehow had a connection to that uh, ship. So I'm wondering if it might be a board from a different universe, maybe. Well, I, I, thank you for bringing that up, David, because there's something else I wanted to mention. So in this episode, we find out that Picard, um, uh, his mother, his father, we don't know about the father, but the mother the mother says to him, look up and let's see what's out there. And that's Captain Picard's tagline. Let's see what's out there. We played at the end of every podcast. Well, what does the Borg Queen say to Picard? Look up. He says, she, she says, or it says, look up. Yep. And to me, that's awful strange. Now, I'm not a lot of there's a big debate on the internet. Is it his mother? Is it not his mother? No, Who is it? We no. don't know. No, but, 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 but you have to like, remember that the Borg have assimilated Jean-Luc Picard. So they have all of the knowledge that Jean-Luc Picard has ever had. So the, to me, the Borg queen 
knows all of the stuff that Picard knows about his mother. And the fact that in this episode, we get a little peek into his like childhood. And when his mom was talking to him about that, that, that little sacred space that they were going to form when they moved to, to France. Um, I don't know. That's just very special to me. It, well, it's just it's, strange. That, I'm that, also going to say it's interesting that they called for Picard. They didn't call for Locutus. No, but they call for Picard. Well, okay, fair, but but they also understand that Picard is no longer part of the collective. So I feel like that in in calling for Picard, they have called for Locutus because they feel like they have a shared cultural context, right? I mean, we're like we were just talking about this with Discovery, how you have to like Discovery in this episode figured out the pheromones thing with the the dust that was on the planet. So right. that's the shared cultural context. In this case, the shared cultural context is that they know that Picard has been a Borg and they can refer to him and like relate to him on that level and and he can respond to them on that level. So I think that's yeah, what's really cool about this. Didn't the Borg Queen say to him Picard and yet not Picard? Yes, she did, actually. Yep. So and, and, and yeah. so that's an acknowledgement of that, right? And um, we can't talk about this episode without mentioning Guinan. Come on, guys, oh. ten forward. Yeah. Um, that was so well, cool. Okay. <laughs> oh my yeah. God! When he Correct when Picard walks into the bar and sees Guinan, it was like, I, I just I couldn't believe it. I knew well, it was going to happen. We saw it in the trailers, but <laughs> seeing it unravel in, in live was just like, just wow. What, I, what, what so, more can I say? It just, just uh, wow. Okay, well, Tim, let's, <laughs> let's get in a little more detail on it. And Ready Room helped on, helped on this one. It's located in the historical district on Forward, and the address is. 10. We're at 10 forward. And yep. it's like great way of tying in that connection. 10 forward. And when Guinan says to Picard, Elnorians can choose to age yeah. if they want to. Yeah. Right. And that she decided to age because humans don't like to be reminded of their mortality. And I thought, okay. They explain why Q is older. Now they explain why Guinan looks older. You know? Thank you exactly. for covering that. Yep. I yeah. was like, all right. End of story. And also, Patrick Stewart said on the ready room that Whoopi came back a couple of times. So this is not the last time we're going to see Guinan. Nope. She's going to be back again. Okay. Yep. Obviously. I, I, I think I – okay. My little prediction: We're gonna find Guinan in the Guinan in the alternative yes. universe. I'm not sure yes. what we call it yet, and you can't spoil things for me us yet. Yeah, but I think yeah. she's on the other side. I agree. That's awesome, Charles. Great observation. Because yeah. I agree. But she's, I think she's, she's gonna, gonna be, be there. She's gonna be like yeah. the through line that like centers Picard as he's trying to find himself. 
Because we so, know Guinan can be in multiple time frames and still know be aware. What's be aware of what's going on. Yeah. Right. Right. And also listen, don't forget about yeah. the Nexus. We, well, there's yeah. that too. But yeah. There's that too. Yeah, well we're we're <laughs> I'm trying okay. to forget about that. I let's know. um <laughs> let's we'll do a Jim I feel like Jim, okay, Jim let me... like a whole episode on the Nexus at some point. <laughs> Which so let's, hates, but. <laughs> let's um. But you know what? I would do it, and I would find good stuff to say about it, even though I don't yeah. like it, because that's yeah. just you know. There's some great I would. But here's the stuff, thing: like the okay. we have yeah. to talk okay. about the end all, be all, the ultimate yeah. in this episode. Q. We 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 yeah. got to touch on Q. Now, yeah. here's my my take on Q. I watched this episode a couple times, and I got to say that. First of all, there's something wrong with Q. Um, he is, um, uh, what's the, he's, he's meaner. He's more uh, vindictive. He's a complete, he's not a trickster he, uh, like the Q we know. He's, he's a bad guy. That's the way I take him. I mean, he, he actually slaps Picard. When have you ever seen Q do that? So he's definitely a bad guy. And I don't know if it's if it's the actor or or what, but when his 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 right eye was bloodshot, did, I don't know if that's John Delancey or if they did that to make him look uh, different. But something is happening to Q. Obviously, we don't know what, but something is happening to Q. Here's the question I want to ask you guys: We talked about it last week. And I wanted to touch on it now. Q is omnipotent or omni-impudent or whatever in, in our universe. The mycelial network can't cross over. Do you think Q is only Q in our universe and not in the 10 C's universe? And the reason why I mentioned that is because this is the first time that we're aware of in Star Trek where a an entity from another universe invades our universe, the 10C mining borite. Do you think it's possible that that is have that that intrusion into our universe is affecting Q in some way and making him lash out and be this dude? Huh. Uh, I'm just. I'm just uh, well, you're kind of. I mean, you're definitely crossing over shows here. Jim, I mean, pretty heavily. Uh, I like what I got out of this first episode that we saw was that um, Q has some shenanigans that he has showed up with, <laughs> as he always does, and um, he feel and and I would agree with what you said that we get a somewhat more intense Q than I think we've had in the past. And by the way, I love. Uh, I do think that they use the uh, dig- digital de-aging kind of in the same way that they did that with Jeff Bridges in the Tron Legacy movie. I think they did that with Q. They didn't just change his hair. They, like, smoothed out his skin and made him look young. And, and then he snaps his fingers and says, oh, I'm going to catch up with you, Picard. But um, but I do think that there's some trouble going on here uh, potentially, 
it seems though from this first episode that he has just thrust Picard into a what if kind of scenario, right? Yeah. Uh, at the very end, it's just ah. like you're you're like, okay, what if you hadn't taken this road? What would it be like? And you know, at the very end of this episode, we get Picard with a with a different badge. Uh, that is not a Starfleet badge, so we know that something is going on with him. We don't see and the phone he, and the portrait. Yes, absolutely. Yes, for sure. And and we don't see Q anywhere. And so he's like Picard has to figure out where he is right now and what he has to do at this point in time. So um, my favorite line from the whole episode was where Q says. You know, what did I tell you the last time we met? The trial never ends. And so we know this all ties back into all good things. The very last episode of season seven of Star Trek, The Next Generation. And I'm super excited about that. My favorite line is when he says, how yesterday's enterprise of you. Yeah, there is that. That's like a, that's like a break the fourth wall type line. I love that too. Cause yeah, he totally acknowledges that episode. I, well, I thought what, that was great. What do you guys think about where's Laris? And we see a B8 walk up and greet Picard. Mm, that's something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. kind of like what you know something is way off, and you look at the badge that is on his chest at the end of this episode, and you're like, wait a second, I've never seen that badge before. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, yeah. Well, we know we know from the trailers that they end up in 2024, right around the Bell Riots time in San Francisco. So um, well, somehow 2024, 2040. Uh, no, 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 it's it? 2024. It's 2024. 2024. It's like a year or two from now. And, yep. uh, but we haven't gotten there yet. We don't like, no, we don't, we don't know how they get there. Yeah, that's right. But we know that they do. Cause we saw that in the trailer. That's not yep. a secret that we, we know they end nope. up there. Yep. So, um, well, um, so overall, uh, Charles, we'll start off with you. What did you think about this episode, and what would you give it on a scale of 1 to 10? Now, mind you, our fans gave it a 9.5. I'm probably going to back off just a little bit because I want to see what they do with it. But I'm going to give it, say, a good solid 9. They've got a good starter for it, but don't lose your energy. We don't want to lose the moment, have any momentum lost. And that's the only thing I worry about what could, could happen. All right. But that also and, gives uh, David, you a chance to build up to get higher. Now, David, you didn't see this one, right? No, I did. <laughs> oh, you did? So what did you think on a scale of 1 to 10? Fans gave it a 9.5. Um, I would say about a 7, but I'll go higher if they ever decide to talk about the secret a thing about between Guinan and Q. What is that all about? And so I'm hoping they, they, uh, they talk about it in the series, but if not, then I'm probably going to have to give it about a 7. My my wife gives it about a 6.5. All right. And Eric, what about you? Uh, I thought this was a super 
excellent natural extension of season one. So I, I tend to be where the fans are. Like I give this a 9.5 when you watch this over, I've watched it three times now. And every time I watch it, I'm like, wow, this is even more Star Trek than I believed it was the first time I watched it. So yeah, I give it a 9.5. I, I, you know what? I'm there with the fans and I'm going to go a little bit higher only because we already saw episode two at the premiere and so, you know, I'm I'm gonna go with a nine point eight. I loved sure. it. I was sure. I was jumping off my couch. I just yeah, I loved so it. My wife gave it a ten. My daughter gave it a ten. They loved it. Um, yeah, it, 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 this was everything that I wanted it to be, and so much more. Just they hit it the nail right on the head. They brought in everything: hey. Hugh, Guinan, the Stargazer, the Borg, the Borg Queen. It was all there. Deltons. I mean, it had it all. So hmm. I'm just curious to see where they go from here. But yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. If I didn't have to get up at 530 tomorrow morning, I would go and watch the, the episode right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to wait till tomorrow because <laughs> I'll be I won't be able to get up for work in the morning. <laughs> Anyways. So uh, that wraps up our, our elongated show for tonight, guys. And I'm sorry we went over, but we, we had so much to talk about. I mean, we had a lot. So that, that wraps up our show. So I want to take a minute to, um, to thank everybody for uh, hanging out and um, joining us. I definitely want to take a moment to, sp- to thank Spencer Brewer and uh, Craig Spurrier from Star Trek Wines for sharing their knowledge on Star Trek Wines with us. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. And, We'll talk to you some more next week. We definitely got to say thank you so, so much to David for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, David. You're welcome. And, of course, thank you so much to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Oh, of course. We got so much Trek to talk about right now. There, it is. It just doesn't do it. No, there's a lot. There's a lot. And, of course, thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us. And, Paul, for thank, for uh, the Star Trek Wines fireside chat. Thank you, guys. Oh, absolutely. Is it just me, or could these podcasts be, like, three or four hours long? Uh, they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they could. I mean, we, we, we do have – I mean, I think we could do a whole podcast on just one episode. I agree. Uh, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, we do what we, we can, only, can, folks. We cover what we, we can. We can only cut. We can only cut so much out of the format and still keep the format the format. Um, unfortunately, but yeah, we do what we can do, and I hope we keep everybody happy. And we try to. I try to touch on as many of the of the things that I find you know interest in each episode. I try to make sure we touch on everything. Granted, we could have talked a lot more about Strange New Worlds. I mean, I think we could have done an hour just on that. I think but, we could have. Um, yeah, but, but we just okay. got There's to keep more things to be moving. Said. Yep, absolutely. We just wet your whistles, guys, so you can go out and make up your own opinions and watch the things yourself. And give us a call at 646-668-2433. Tell us if you agreed with us or disagreed with us or what you thought. We're always here for you guys, so give us a call next week. And, of course, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, freezing my uh, – Freezing my Kanakis off up here with my Tauntaun in, in Vermont, where it's 60 on one day and 30 on the next with snow. Go figure that. 
I just, Mother Nature is like, I don't know what's wrong with Mother Nature. We just, one day we got the windows open and the next day we got the heat on. It's really strange, but at any rate, we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, Eric and uh, Charles are going to, not Eric, Charles and, uh, not Charles, Paul and Eric are going to break into a bottle of Chateau Picard. You'll have to tune in and see what they thought about that. And we're going to be talking about tonight's episode of Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Discovery. Please head over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond. Tell us where you're listening from. Give us a like. Give us a follow. We'd really appreciate it. And that's all we have for you guys tonight. So I'm Uncle Jim saying hailing frequencies are closed. Stay safe and be good to each other. Good night, everybody. Night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Night. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.